0: Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, January the 15th, and today we're going to continue our short series on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is the same yesterday, and we looked at John 1, verses 1 through 3, and Genesis chapter 1 to show that Jesus was the word before he became Jesus as we know him uh, in the flesh. And we looked at how, as the word, he existed before creation. He was before was, was a was. Um, he existed before creation, existed in, in how he spoke creation into existence as the word. And finally, we looked at how he was deity, God, and still is God and will be deity, God, forevermore. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus is the same forever. But now, today, we will focus on how Jesus is the same today. A student was taking their final exam, his final exam at university, and he, he takes a seat in the exam room and just stares at the exam paper. Then in a fit of inspiration, he takes off his shoes and throws them out of the window. And then removes all of his clothes, including, including his pants and his socks. And, and the teacher, becoming very alarmed, said to him, what on earth are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm only following the instructions on the exam paper. It says to answer the questions in brief. We can all think of times like that, maybe, when we totally misunderstood the instructions. The instructions that Jesus gave are often misunderstood, and so people either ignore them altogether or are left with some parts of the scripture which we just can't fit into our theology. You see, friends, Jesus is the same today because his message is still the same today. And and what is his message? Well, it's good news. The word gospel means good news which is the message of forgiveness for sin through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us exactly what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. But what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. You know, we may hear often about how Jesus died on a cross and died for you or died for me. But rarely will we hear someone say Jesus died on that cross and died for us because we're sinners. And and that's because that word sinner, which is, um, homalotos, is seen as, you know, it's incredibly politically incorrect, and it's offensive to people. But anyone who has voluntarily or deliberately violated God's laws or neglected the requirements of God's law is a sinner. That's what the word sinner means. And if we find that offensive, let me tell you, we, we don't see it nearly as offensive as God does. He hates it. And he hates it with a passion because he knows what the ultimate consequences are. In Isaiah 59, too, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God is a holy God, and he hates sin because it opposes his very holy nature and it separates us from him. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life, and because of that, He was the only one who was qualified to substitute his own sinless life for our sinful life on the cross. He went to the cross to pay the debt that you and I owe, that we owe to God for our sin, but he rose again and his resurrection is the proof of the power of God. Christianity and our faith has its very foundations on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is central to everything that we believe as Christians, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. In other words, if Jesus didn't die, if he wasn't buried, and if he didn't raise or rise from the grave, we might as well just go home. We're wasting our time because there would be no point. There would be no point or purpose to this life, and there would be no hope in an afterlife. First Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. There's a story about how Satan once summoned his top demonic aides to plan a strategy against the church. Satan stood at the smart board lecturing, illustrating the latest strategies and in demonic warfare. And at the end of the session, Satan said, now get out there and give your best possible effort to keep these believers from from winning the lost." And as the demonic hierarchy headed for the door, Satan hollered out, by the way, be careful. If those Christians ever begin to really believe and act on what they have in the word of God, then hell help us. Heaven's going to break loose. You see, we need to live like we believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. We need to to preach, to teach, to talk like we believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. We need to act and behave and treat other people like we believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Because remember, a lot of people don't read the scripture, They read us and they read our life and they will judge our Christianity on how we go about our daily life. In other words, we're a walking, talking advertisement testimony of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And friends, that's good news. And if we believe the good news, then sometimes we need to remind our head and our heart to tell our face what it is we believe. Because a lot of us walk around acting like we don't believe that. So not only is his message still the same today, but Jesus is the same today because he, the way he taught us to love is the same today. Remember, the gospel is a message of love. The Bible is a love letter from God to all of humanity. Jesus dealt with so many aspects of human life. But one topic that he really pushed is the topic of love. But this is no ordinary love. This is a radical new way to love. When Jesus taught about love, he didn't just focus on our love for our friends and for our family. He taught about a love even more radical than that. He taught about a love that was much more challenging, a love that tests every fiber of our bodies. In Matthew five, forty-three through 44, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, the kind of love Jesus is speaking about here is a kind of social love. It's, it's the Greek word agapeo, which, which means to love in the moral sense. It's the kind of love that asks us to love those who we want to hate, love those who, who already hate us. And it's radical because it goes everything against everything that we've been taught for years by society about love. Because let's be honest, it's the easiest thing in the world to hate someone, isn't it? It's the easiest thing in the world to try to revenge our wrongs, to get even with those who hate us. It's easy to go into the no blame, the no claim courts. It's easy to go to the had an accident in the last five years that wasn't your fault, solicitators. Jesus says the love he wants us to put into practice isn't revengeful. It's way more powerful than that. This kind of love doesn't hold grudges. It forgives. It doesn't create bitterness. It brings us to our knees in prayer. John 13, 34 through 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, what's so new about this command of love? Well, what's new about this love is found in the phrase, as I have loved you. All the way through Jesus' life, he demonstrated a radically new way to love. And it's interesting that Jesus uses the Greek word we looked at earlier, agapē, which is used in the social and the moral sense. But when he says, if you love one another, he uses the Greek word agape, which means the highest form of love, the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for God and for each other. In other words... It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's the kind of love that Jesus speaks about in John 15, verses 12 through 13. This is my command, that you keep on loving each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than a person who lays down his life for his friends. It's the kind of love Paul talks about in Ephesians five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so Jesus is the same today because he still expects us to love everyone as he loved everyone. Today. But not only that, Jesus is the same today because he still offers forgiveness today. You see, for Jesus, it was important not only that we try to reach his standard of love, but also that we realize that there are going to be times, most of the time, okay, all of the time, when we don't reach his standard of love. And really, that's what the cross is all about. It not only shows us the consequence of sin, but it shows his greatest love for mankind. But we can never understand the cross as something done for us until we understand that it was something done by us. In other words, we need to realize that we are all sinners and have fallen short of God's glory, as Romans 3.23 tells us. Because we can't ask for forgiveness for something if we don't think we've done anything wrong. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died. The Bible says in John eleven thirty five that Jesus wept the shortest verse in scripture. Why is he crying? Well, it's certainly not because Lazarus is dead. After all, he's going to bring him back to life. No, he's crying because in Lazarus's death, he saw the full consequence of sin. What first John five seventeen. all wrongdoing is sin. It doesn't matter if we've committed what we think is a small sin or if we've committed what we think is a huge sin. The point is we all need forgiveness, and God wouldn't offer forgiveness if we didn't need it. So now let me ask, have we ever wondered why Jesus died at Passover time and, and maybe not Pentecost? Hebrews seven twenty seven. unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, in Exodus 12, where God passed over the firstborn of Egypt, that was a a day that God would never repeat. It was a one-off event done by God. The day of Pentecost was a festival that was to be repeated every year, and so he died on Passover because this, too, was a one-off event, a once-for-all sacrifice in Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. He died because of us and for us so that he could offer us a way to receive forgiveness. However, the price for, of our forgiveness was paid in a remarkable way when jesus suffered and died in our place that's why we partake in in the lord's supper jesus took simple symbols of bread and wine and used them as symbols of his blood of his body and of his blood Matthew 26, 26 through 28. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and, and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this, my, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now we have to notice that Jesus didn't ask the Father to bless us as we partake of the bread and wine. He blessed God. He thanked God for providing the bread and wine. There was a church who were getting ready to partake in in the Lord's Supper, and the preacher suggested that as they pass the bread and cup that they whisper the body of Christ sacrificed for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. As the as the implements were being passed around, one man in the congregation was very reluctant to, to partake, and so a six year old girl said to him very softly, It's okay, take it. It's for sinners. She was old enough to understand what the supper is all about. It's for saved sinners. We don't partake partake of the supper to receive the forgiveness of our sins. We partake of the supper because our sins have been forgiven, because it's during the supper that that great price, which was made for us to receive the forgiveness of our sins is realized. And when we realize how much forgiveness we need, then just like Paul, we can whisper the words he said to his young friend Timothy in 1 Timothy 1:15, 1 here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the the I am the worst part, it reminds me of me. And so, not only do we need forgiveness, we need to be willing to forgive others too over and over and over again in the bible not only it reminds of us of our need to, for forgiveness but it reminds us of our need to forgive others, too. Now, this, again, is a radical new practice. It's a radical new way of thinking. Jesus says in Matthew six fourteen through 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What Jesus is saying is that if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we must reflect God's nature. And since God's nature includes the ability to forgive, then we too must forgive anyone who wrongs us. Because if we don't, we can't claim to belong to Christ. But a command is a command, friends, and it's simple. If we don't forgive them, then God won't forgive us. And remember, Jesus told us earlier that we're to love and pray for our enemies. But why pray for them? Are we praying that those who hurt us will change? Well, sure, yes. But it's more than that. We're also praying that our attitudes towards them will change. You know, we might not be able to change their attitudes towards us, but through prayer, God will help us change our attitudes towards them. Now, I understand that forgiving people isn't something that comes easy to us. But again, do we really believe that it was easy for Jesus to say in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. When Jesus says, forgive them, he's not just talking about the Roman soldiers who are carrying out the death sentence. He's talking about the whole of humanity, the whole of human, the human race. He's talking about every sinner who has ever lived before the cross and every sinner who has ever lived and will live after the cross. Paul says in Ephesians 4:32, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." The point is, Jesus is the same today because he knows we need to forgive others because we need forgiveness so much ourselves, and he still offers it today. Now, so let me ask you this before we finish. Do we believe everything that we've looked at this morning? Do we understand how much he loved us and wants us to love others the same? Do we see our need for forgiveness and the need to forgive others who wrong us? And do we believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? If we do, then what are we waiting for? We can receive all these things that we've talked about this morning, today. We simply have to to do spiritually what Jesus did physically. Paul puts it very simply in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know, in baptism, we're simply doing spiritually what Christ did physically. In baptism, we die like he died. In baptism, we're buried like he was buried in baptism and we're raised into a new life like he was raised into a new life. Peter said to those listening on the day of Pentecost that they could be forgiven for killing the Messiah, and he he told them what they needed to do to receive this forgiveness. He said in Acts 2.38, repent, change your mind, go back, turn around. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the same today because the way we receive forgiveness for our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is still the same today. And so if we're not a follower of Christ, if we're not a believer, if we're not a Christian this morning, then then let me leave you with the words of Paul to think about. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. Amen. And God bless.